People try to manipulate Google as much as possible, but at the end of the day, like I'm thinking about how can I create something that's gonna have a moat? I wanna see like, if I create this, is it gonna be difficult for someone to beat me? And if the answer is like, oh no, they can just go to ChatGPT and produce a little piece of content and beat me, then I shouldn't expect to be there for very long. But I know me going and investing my money to buy 26 books and actually invest my time to actually read those books, how many people are willing to do that? Not a ton right? Not a ton. So I'm looking for ways to really find that differentiator, that moat to make it difficult to move me out of my, my position. And there's always someone that will try to outdo you, but that's good. Like that means we're just raising, we're raising the bar, right? You keep raising the bar, raising the bar. That's a good thing. Content keeps getting better. Keep in mind though, in the SEO space, it's very competitive. Like content, everyone in the SEO space knows how to create great content. That's just how it is. But you take these same principles and you apply them for a St. Louis HVAC business, you will destroy every competitor. Hi, and welcome to the Optimize Podcast. My name is Nate Matherson, and I am your host. On this weekly podcast, we sit down with some of the smartest minds in content marketing and SEO. Our goal is to give you perspective and insights on what's moving the needle in organic search. Today, I'm thrilled to sit down with Nathan Gotch. Nathan is the founder and SEO director of the Gotch SEO Agency, and also the founder and head SEO coach of Gotch SEO Academy. In our episode today, Nathan and I will talk about his new book, The SEO Entrepreneur, and then Nathan and I will go really deep on local SEO. I'm curious to pick his brains about everything from backlinks, should we be buying them, to internal linking, building topical authority as a local niche site, the skills that content and SEO agencies and teams must have here in 2023 and more. And this episode of the Optimize Podcast is brought to you by Positional. If you don't know by now, my name's Nate and I'm one of the co-founders of Positional. And I'm really excited to announce that we just launched our content analytics tool set. This has very quickly become my favorite feature. It's one that I've wanted for the last 10 years. And it's really effective in identifying which pages on your site users might be having a low quality experience on. What we do is we track metrics like scroll depth, bounce rate, and time on page to score your pages and then allow you to go deeper to see where within a piece of content, for example, which paragraph is causing people to leave or where, for example, you might want to add a call to action within that page. This tool set is called Content Analytics. It's our newest feature. I'm stoked about it and you should be too. Nathan, thank you so much for coming on the episode today. Thank you so much. Super excited to be here. So the question I always ask all of our guests is how did you get into the world of content marketing and SEO and then to the agency side of things? Yeah, my, my story is kind of interesting. I know there might be some people who've maybe already heard it, but I actually got into SEO in kind of a weird way. I started by searching when I was actually going into my senior year of college. It was like 2011 going into 2012. And uh, I was looking for ways to make money online. And so I, I did that and I stumbled upon a bunch of sketchy tactics. I, I did the paid survey thing. Uh, you know, I wrote essays for college students, not saying that was a good idea, but I was doing anything to try to figure it out. Let's just say that didn't really work super well. I was making like three cents an hour with the paid surveys. And I don't think I ever got paid out by the way. So, you know, I quickly learned that wasn't going to be the right path. So eventually I just kept searching and I actually stumbled upon this course um, and it was 47 bucks. It was called Web Colleagues. 
And like at the time I was just a broke college student. So I was like, oh my gosh, $47. I don't know if I can do this, but I actually did. I actually, you know, that was basically all the money I had and bought, you know, bought this course. And in the course, they taught all kinds of different ways of making money online. One of them that really stood out to me was blogging. So I was like, you can make money with a blog. Like it was such a foreign thing to me at the time. I started to think about like, what would be something I could create a blog on? Like I didn't have any skills. I was still in college. Like I didn't have a whole lot of things that I could pull upon, except I was on my college baseball team and I was a baseball pitcher on my team. So I was like, well, I do know how to throw a baseball. So why don't I create a blog about baseball pitching? So that's what I did. I created this, this website called the ultimate pitcher. Of course, I struggled to get any traffic to it. Just writing constantly, like did no clue what I was doing, just throwing stuff at the wall, hoping that I could get some sort of affiliate commission or make money with the Google AdSense. So eventually I went back to Google again and I was like, all right, how do I get traffic to this thing? Like, what do I do? Um, and that's when I stumbled upon SEO. When I found it, it was like finding like the greatest discovery of all time. I was like, wow, Google can send me traffic for free. That was such like a crazy revelation. So I just started implementing everything I learned on this site and it, it started to work. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like getting, like I was watching my traffic climb. I started to start to make money with AdSense. I started making my, I made my first affiliate sale and then I was hooked. I was hooked from that point forward. Yeah. And then you started the Gotch SEO agency in 2014, I believe I saw. What led you to ultimately starting the agency or how did you get there? So what happened is like from 2011 to 2013, really, I was basically just creating a bunch of different websites. So I, I created that baseball pitching site and it did really well, but it wasn't like, it wasn't enough to like be a full-time gig by any means. I actually found myself becoming more obsessed with just SEO in general. Like I liked working on my baseball blog. It was a passion. It was fun. But like what kept kind of like pulling me in was like SEO. I was like, man, I really love this SEO thing. And so I started creating multiple, like I would literally create websites just to rank them. Like I didn't even care about making money. I would literally, I had many, uh, I had uh, Bowflex, BowflexReviewsHQ.com. I had TRXReviewsHQ.com. And I had UndercounterIceMakerReviewsHQ.com. <laughs> so I really was, and there were many others, by the way. But I was really, I would build these sites up and I would rank them and just make, you know, make money through affiliate commissions and whatever. But it was, what I found out is like, I just love the process of SEO. So I started to build up like a very big portfolio of results. And then eventually, I, I don't know if you know who Alex Becker is, but this, at the time he was in the SEO industry. And he kind of brought this idea to me, not, not personally, just like by watching his content that starting an SEO business, like servicing small businesses and helping them with their SEO is like a really good way to earn income. And so that's where I kind of was like, well, I could probably do that. I already got the portfolio, so I should try to do that. <clears throat> so funny thing is though, leading up to that. So I was building the sites and my first idea was that I was just going to get a job like in a company, like I was going to get hired in an agency or try to do SEO in-house um, and so I applied, this is when I was still living in LA. I applied for a bunch of jobs in LA, got one interview, didn't get the job. Then I got laid off in my job. I was working security in Beverly Hills, got, got laid off there. So I was like, well, I got a decision to make. Do I go all in on this or, you know, what do I do? Do I move to St. Louis to be with my now wife? So I made a decision to come to St. Louis. Uh, and this is 2013 and I had no clients. Uh, so what I did, I was like, well, I'm going to try to get hired an agency here in St. Louis. I applied to every single agency that exists at the time in St. Louis. I got one interview. I only got one answer and one interview and I did not get that job either. So I was like, well, you know what? I guess I'm just going to have to get clients on my own because uh, I can't keep living at my mother-in-law's house for uh, as long as I am. So that's where it kind of started. I went all in 
on, on the agency and fortunately worked out for me. So my next question is on the academy, because like you started the academy in 2016. So you'd, you'd been in the agency business for a few years. And then what led you to, to thinking like we needed an academy to help train other folks on content and SEO? To be honest, it was because when I was building on my agency, like one of the best strategies that I used was just education. Like I would just create blog content. I would create case studies. Um, and at the time, blogging was a lot more, let's say, in vogue. Like you know, it was just like a lot better. Like people really cared about blogs. And so I, I would create these, these you know, super long case studies, these super long informative posts. And what I found is like, I really enjoyed that. Like I really loved the process of just helping people with their SEO. And I always had heard that starting a course was a good idea, right? For, for actually, you know, monetizing your business. So for me, I was like, well, I think I could definitely make a course. And so in 2016, I was deathly afraid to be on video, like so afraid. Um, and so actually prior to 2016, this is, I think it's like 2015, roughly, uh, we signed up for the Yelp, like partner program. And so when you sign up for the partner program, they send over a videographer and they do a video of you, like, you know, talking about your business, like, Hey, I'm gotcha CEO. And you know, you say your little thing, man, it was like the worst experience of my life. I like that, that camera got put on me and I was like a deer in the headlights. I could not even like, nothing was running in my mind. It was gone. Um, so that like, I was like, I will never do video ever. <laughs> so that was like my, my stance. A uh, funny thing is, and for a while I just avoided. So in 2016, the reason I'm saying this is because my first version of the Academy was completely text written. Like there was no video. I literally just wrote out every single lesson and then put it into a back end, And that's what it was. Needless to say, it was not good. That was a very bad version of the Academy. And only, I think it was roughly seven people signed up. It wasn't exactly the best launch, but I learned a lot there. And I was like, you know what? I can't, I can't do this. Like I need to, I need to have video. It needs to be legit. So to start to get over my fear, I just would record these like over the shoulder videos of the recording my computer screen, but I was never on the video. It was just like my voice and that run through, you know, um, showing people how to do stuff. So I did that. And then obviously it's transformed into something very different today, but that was kind of like the origin of it. I've found like most SEOs typically start with blog posts. Like there actually is like a lot of great blog content out there on the internet, like, you know, Ahrefs and SEMrush and even HubSpot to a degree, they've got, you know, fantastic blogs. And I've always been like a big fan of like the authority hacker guys too. They've got like a pretty good blog and, and course system. But for me, it's always been like pieced together. Like you kind of learn like as you face an issue and then you need to Google it and then you find that blog post. So doing SEO to help people learn SEO. But I guess with your coursework, like do you take people more of through like the end to end process of learning a channel versus like kind of piecemealed as they go. Is that the idea here? Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's a disadvantage of trying to learn for free. You know, like you, like anyone could go to my YouTube channel right now and learn SEO very, very well. Like you could probably become top 25% if you execute on the, on the advice that I give. But the challenge is you got to find all the parts and put it all together and make sense of it all because I can't give you the full process in 10 minutes right? For a video. So the beauty, like the way my training is set up, I don't even really call my training a course because really what I'm giving is, is really a system. And the reason why I say that is because I've actually designed the training specifically from the perspective of an agency. So it needs to be cut out all the fat. I'm not going to, I'm not going to spend an hour talking about patents. I'm not going to spend an hour telling you what S what is SEO or what are keywords. It's none of that. It's 
here's how to make a copy of this template. Here's how to find uh, existing keywords. Here's how to categorize those keywords based on the positions that they're in. How's how to prioritize those opportunities? Like it just goes from end to end, each part of the process, breaking it down. And it's obviously there's supporting elements in there. There's standard operating procedures, templates, and basically the training, if you want to call it, is really they're really just demos. I'm really showing a demo of how to do the SEO process. I've had so many versions of my course, if you want to call it, and it's now the version now is it's almost more of like it's it, this is a system, not so much a course. Because I I had courses before, and I'll tell you just uh, as a non SEO kind of side point, I don't know if you know the statistic, but roughly only ten percent of people finish online courses. So when I discovered that in my own training, actually one day I was like, you know, I'm going to go and look. I'm going to say, there's no way my training, there's no way that they would not go through my stuff, right? So then I go and look and of course it was about, tw- I think it was like 15 or 20% completion rate. That like made me sick to my stomach. I was like, I couldn't even believe that people wouldn't go through the training because I was like, if you just go through it, like you would get results. So that really like disturbed me. And I was, my course was doing fine. I could have kept selling it the same way I was selling it. I would do these product launches, you know, I'd open it up for a week and then close it, open it up for a week, close it. I had six figure weeks in my launches. Like they were, they were pretty good, but I wasn't seeing the, the student results that were making me sleep well at night. And it wasn't necessarily because the content was wrong or the content wasn't good. It was because I hadn't set them up for success. And so I just decided like, okay, I'm going to read, I'm redoing this whole thing from scratch. I started really like deeply analyzing a lot of things. Uh, But one of the things that I did is I changed it from a course to more of a coaching program and system. And so now when someone enrolls, it's not just, Hey, here's a course. Good luck. Now it's, here's a system that you can follow step by step. But every Tuesday and Thursday, you can get on a you can get on a coaching call. I will lead this coaching call and I will help you with your campaign. I will help you with whatever you're working on, like on the spot. That's in a group coaching environment, by the way. But still, just adding that little piece to it, I, I cannot express how much of a difference it made. It's insane. Like we went from let's say 15, 20% completion rate. Now we're at 80% completion rate. And the results that the students get is like through the roof. So yeah, I get pretty excited about this because it's just a really, like this change in my business model has such a huge impact, not just for like my business. It's obviously a bigger investment for me to show up every Tuesday and Thursday, but for the students, they, they're able to get the results that they want. And it's not just because that's a challenge with a course, right? It's so static. It's not personalized. It's not every person's situation is different. Every website is different. Every campaign is different. So what I try to do is I give the system the framework Try to make it as adaptive as possible based on unique scenarios, but then we can get into the personalized element of it, which is in that in the coaching calls. And just a quick question, just so I've got it. So like your customers for the course are primarily like teams or new hires at agencies who are looking to like learn the fundamentals and then even more advanced concepts of SEO. So it's mainly like agency folks and not necessarily like in-house teams. No, it's quite the mix, but I would say our number one are definitely in the bucket of SEO service providers. That would be, you know, that could be a large agency, you know, five, $10 million a year. That could also be an agency that has three employees. Uh, it could also be someone who's just a freelancer who's just trying to, you know, figure it out. Like I'll tell you the biggest, um, cause we've done, you know, hundreds and hundreds of calls now with, with agency people and our ideal customers. And the biggest hurdle is like from around $10,000 a month for most client works, like 10,000 to $20,000 a month is where most people get stuck. And the reason they get stuck is because 
they were able to acquire some good clients. They're able to, you know, get things going well, but that's like the danger zone because you could, it, it feels nice in that zone. You're like 10, 20, not bad, not bad. This is good. I'm, I'm making more money than I could have ever made a little bit of complacency in there. Uh, but the real reason why people get complacent is there because they don't know how to get out of there. So they just say, you know what? I'm okay. I'm all right here. But in reality, most people aren't all right. And so what I found is that the, the reason they don't get out of there is because they lack infrastructure to be able to do the campaigns in a repeatable way. If you're stuck in that range, more than likely, based on what I've talked to so many of these individuals, their campaigns kind of look like, you know, just throwing stuff at the wall, right? Like we start a campaign and it's different every single time. You know, it's always different. Um, and so what I do is I help them standardize that process and to produce a predictable outcome. Because if without systems, it's very difficult to produce a, predi a predictable outcome. It's like McDonald's, right? You go to McDonald's, if it was this kind of freewheel and whatever, I mean, not saying McDonald's is good either, by the way, but at least, you know, there's some sort of procedure in place to try to produce a predictable product at the end. Yeah, I have a couple kind of quick thoughts and then questions. Like, I think that at times like SEO agencies themselves get a bad rap and like rightfully so sometimes, but then oftentimes maybe like the client had like the wrong expectations about the channel, which can like often be the case. Um, it does take quite a bit of time to, to build an organic search channel, but Coming back to like the the work that the agencies are actually doing, it always shocks me. Like the just rookie mistakes I will see agencies make in their client work. Like for example, not having like a sitemap, which is like one of the most obvious things that you could put in place. I also think that like the bar for hiring like a good or a fantastic agency is often like quite high. I've found that like for the best agencies or like I pe people that I know that actually are doing a fantastic job, they tend to start at like $10,000 a month for like a single client. Am I like wrong in that? Like are there SEO agencies that charge below that and still do like a fantastic job? Yeah. I mean, there's, that would be more on a national level type of pricing. There are local campaigns that go to that level, but usually it, it's going to be very vertical dependent. So a personal injury lawyer absolutely can get up to that level like no problem. But when you start to get into these more really localized industries, like you take a local florist, there's no local florist they are going to be paying 10 grand a month. That that, that, that just ain't happening. <laughs> so um, unless they're a franchise model, then there's, there's opportunity there. Like if they have multiple locations, they need to hit multiple cities, then certainly that, that retainer size can grow. But if it's a singular location, a single auto shop, a single barber, a single there, you know, you're going to be looking sub 5,000 a month, likely more sub 2,500 a month in that range. I do recommend a lot of the people I work with, like you should raise your price. Most people are undercharging just the nature of business. Most people undercharge for for the value that they bring. It's, that's, it's very difficult to get over that hurdle, but there is a situation when it comes to SEO services where you can price yourself out of the market. So you got to kind of find the range there. And I've always done like, I've never described it as national SEO, but like national SEO, I guess that's where like kind of my network and where I've spent my time in my career is. And I guess I totally don't understand or haven't spent as much time in like the small business type SEO work or agency work. And this is just like a curiosity question. Like, is it like awful working with like a florist shop? Like it sounds to me like awful, like to have them as a client. Like, are they like incredibly frustrating to deal with? There is a correlation between paying less money and being more difficult. There is there is a correlation there sometimes, not all the time. I personally have found that when I grew my prices, the quality of clientele got better, just the nature of it. So just to put it in perspective, 
The first client I ever got, this was in 2013, was a Santa Monica photographer, okay? And you're not going to believe how much I charge. This, is, this disturbs a lot of people when I tell them $100 per month I charged for SEO. So you want to talk about undervaluing yourself. At that point for me, I was charging $100 per month and I was working like some ungodly amount of time because it was the only campaign I had. So I was like really going all in. To put it nicely, this guy was a nightmare. So I learned, I was like, okay, I can't charge $100 a month. I learned that very quickly. So eventually I, I got the courage to start increasing prices. So eventually it was like 500 bucks a month. And I was working with a lot of local businesses and eventually a thousand then 5,000 then 10,000, as you mentioned, which is the range that I tend to be in. But yeah, we're working with humans. Some humans are difficult to work with. Some are not. I would say the thing that really determines whether they're going to be a difficult client is usually even before they become a client. I've gotten better at this and I've helped other people get better at this to identify those warning signs. Um, and so in the discovery call, I'm asking very specific questions to see how many SEO companies have you worked with? It's a very simple question. But when you tell me you've worked with 10 SEO companies and they've all been terrible, what, what are you telling me? You're telling me that I'm also going to be terrible before we've even started right? They've already made that decision. They've already decided that every company that you keep jumping from one agency to the next, eventually you got to look yourself in the mirror and say, well, maybe I'm the problem in this scenario and not so much the 10 agencies. Um, now, of course, eight out of those 10 agencies could have been terrible, but is it likely that 10, 10 out of 10 were bad? That's a pretty low probability in my opinion. For me, it's about attacking those warning signs before they become a client. And there's obvious stuff. Like if they're on their last dollar and they're trying to make SEO their hope to save their business, you don't want to be in a scenario like that. Like what I look for is I want to work with local, like I'll just give you a, a, a realistic example. Like we have a business that's in the fire protection space. Okay. They do fire protection for other businesses, kitchens, you know, whatever. They've been around for 50 years. Okay. 50 years in business. Think about how many cycles they've been through, economic cycles. They've, they've been through it all and they're still here. That's the type of business I like to work with. Because I know for sure that they're going to continue to pay their bills. They've been around. They, they've worked with a lot of vendors. And he has to, also has to like the person. That's the other part. I talk to a lot of agencies that are on like the startup side of things or like the tech side of things. Like those are their customers. And they say something similar, which is that they often want to work with like tech companies that are going to succeed regardless of SEO. Like SEO is just like a channel that can help accelerate things. But if it wasn't like the business would still be doing well and succeeding versus a company that sees it as like an a critical unlock to them actually surviving. So that's really interesting you say that on like the, the local SEO side of things too. But I do really want to talk about your book. So the SEO entrepreneur, tell me about it. Like what inspired you and then what's in it and how do people read it? I realized that there was a void in the market. Like if you go and look on Amazon, you won't find a lot of books about building an SEO business. Funny thing is I did a blog post that I, I purchased every single SEO book on Amazon. So I think I got 26 books. Um, and so you can see my big stupid picture of me holding the books, but I had all 26 books and I read all of them. So I like, I blocked out a time and I literally read every single book. And this is a part of, you know, visual documentation and actually really using a product when you go to review it is really, really good uh, for your content. So if you go and look up, you know, best SEO books, I'm probably at the top there somewhere. When I went through all of those, there was really only about, I want to say like one book that 
talked a little bit about the business side of SEO, but not like specifically client SEO. And like, I have a massive amount of experience in that. So I was like, you know what, here's my opportunity because no one else has done it. So I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And it's also more of like, from a marketing perspective, I know the benefits of a book, right? So when you, when you write a book, your perceived value tends to climb, uh, even though anyone can be a self-publisher and write their own book and publish it on Amazon. I didn't want to do it just like, hey, here's a Kindle and good luck. I want it to be like a legit thing. We go through the process. It's pretty intense, but actually having a physical book, right? That's really important. But for me, as people who watch this will likely experience, I'm actually giving the book away for free. So uh, when I launch on October 2nd, they just have to pay for shipping. They get the book for free. And then what will happen as once again, they will experience when they, when they get the book is they'll get hit with um, an offer to join my training. So I've basically done it as a front end offer to demonstrate value. And then if I do a good job there, they'll want to join my training. Um, that's my big hidden secret here. But the book itself, like what's inside is really from the perspective of someone who, if I was myself starting again, what advice would I give myself? That's basically it. I mean, it's someone who's more of a beginner level entrepreneur, someone maybe who maybe does already have some SEO clients, but they just don't, there's not a whole lot of infrastructure going on. So the purpose is like, I'm trying to show someone from end to end how to get this business, like build a real SEO business, not a, you know, I'm a freelancer who takes on clients here and there, like a real operation. And so I'm walking through that entire process, how to pick the niche, you know, everything that goes into that from end to end, all the way up until the actual fulfillment of the service as well. I don't, funny thing is in the book, the end of the book, I get into a little bit of SEO, some basic fulfillment, but that's not really the purpose of the book. The book is about the business side of starting a, a client SEO business. Yeah, we had a guest on a couple of weeks ago that built like a fairly large furniture review site and they were actually like mailing couches to their writers to fully review them. I do want to get like uh, tactical here into like what you're seeing and working in SEO right now, maybe what's not working. But first, like I know that you've got like some pretty thoughtful processes around creating content and people always ask me like, what is a fantastic piece of content? And so I guess my first question to you there is like, what is a fantastic piece of content and like what does like the correct content creation process look like it changes depending on what channel so in the case of seo what i would consider fantastic content is different than what i would consider fantastic content on twitter or x if you want to call it that um, or on linkedin even right or even on youtube so definitely uh channel dependent uh and so but in the case of in the case of seo for me, the number one thing that content must do above all else is satisfy the intent of the keyword. That is the thing that must occur. If that does not occur, you're not going to be there for very long. What I mean by that is so when you, when you identify a keyword, um, we, could, we could take any example here. Um, let's say best SEO books. Okay, You identify that keyword, best SEO books. What you have to do is you first way that I do is I go into Google and I see what's already ranking. Okay, I want to see what do we have here and what is the general trend, general commonalities of the pages that are ranking. Typically, just because I've lost count of how many times I've done this, when you have best in the actual query, you're typically going to see list posts, just the nature of it. Okay, you look up any any query, you just add best to it, you're likely going to see a large amount of list posts in there. So for me, when I was doing my research for that one keyword, I said, okay, we've, I see many list posts here. So what do I do now, now that I know how to satisfy the intent, what can I create that's going to be different and better than what's currently ranking? So in this example, I looked at all the, all the results and it was what I would expect. They were just like, these are the best SEO books. And really the lists were just based on 
which had the most Amazon reviews. I know I see a weakness in the SERP. I say, okay, perfect. You could, no one's actually done a real review. <laughs> so I'm going to come in and I'm going to do a real review for these books. So like, if you were to look at the top five, what would be one thing you'd be like, whoa, I want to click on that. That's different, right? So you're trying to balance between satisfying the intent, but also being different at the same time so that you can stand out in the SERP, which then allows you to generate CTR. So for me, that's why I did the, I think the exact title is like, I read 26 of the best books on SEO books on Amazon. Here's the top five. I'm fortunate because I've done a lot on YouTube. So I've pulled a lot of my YouTube experience into Google SEO. And with YouTube, um, not to get, not to get sidetracked here, but with YouTube, it does, it is applicable here because on YouTube, the most important thing on is that you get CTR. CTR is critical. If you, if no one clicks on your videos, doesn't matter how good your videos are, right? So when YouTube's, YouTube's algorithm, it's number one thing that it's looking at is that initial click. How many people are clicking on your video? And then when they get to the video, how what's the length of time that people are actually watching this video? What are the user signals on this video? Are they liking it? Are they leaving comments? Are they sharing it? Those metrics are really important. If it, and if the metrics are good, then YouTube will show it to more people and obviously your views will climb. Google's a little bit different in that regard, but I still take a lot of those principles. So CTR to me is really, really important. But the other part of it is once you actually get a, you know, someone to your page, the content needs to be good. Like this is, people try to manipulate Google as much as possible, but at the end of the day, like I'm thinking about how can I create something that's gonna have a moat? I wanna see like, if I create this, is it gonna be difficult for someone to beat me? And if the answer is like, oh no, they can just go to ChatGPT and produce a little piece of content and beat me, then I shouldn't expect to be there for very long. But I know me going and investing my money to buy 26 books and actually invest my time to actually read those books, how many people are willing to do that? Not a ton right? Not a ton. So I'm looking for ways to really find that differentiator, that moat to make it difficult to move me out of my, my position. And there's always someone that will try to outdo you, but that's good. Like that means we're just raising, we're raising the bar, right? You keep raising the bar, raising the bar. That's a good thing. Content keeps getting better. Keep in mind though, in the SEO space, it's very competitive. Like content, everyone in the SEO space knows how to create great content. That's just how it is. But you take these same principles and you apply them for a St. Louis HVAC business, you will destroy every competitor. Like it is so easy. That's the way that my, my mind goes when I think about it. Well, you actually brought me to a question I was going to ask on competition. Like, so two-parter here, you know, you and I have both been doing SEO for maybe let's call it a little over 10 years. Has SEO in your opinion, gotten more competitive as a channel since you first started? And then second follow-up question is, is local SEO just incredibly easy? Yeah. So the first part of the question, as far as competition, I think in some ways, yes, in some ways, no. In some ways, the biggest challenge is just established authorities that have so much compounded authority that you're just playing catch up with them. So to narrow those gaps between you and them is very difficult and it requires a massive bankroll. And so like you could technically beat anyone in SEO, right? There's, you could technically beat Amazon. You could beat any of these monsters, but the only way to do it is you would need enough money and you need enough time. <laughs> okay. And so if you had maybe 2000 years to try to beat Amazon uh, and you had millions of dollars, maybe you could do it. It would just take a very long time. So that's just not a good path to go, obviously. So I think that's the biggest challenge is on a national level in particular, there's just a lot of very, very strong websites. There's ways to beat those very strong websites, by the way. And there's a couple of tactics you can use. 
Number one is you get more relevant than them. The way to be a monster is to get real granular. That's the way that I can attack them. So let's say it's, um, you work in SaaS. So like with SaaS, very competitive and across many different verticals in SaaS. But the thing is a lot of SaaS companies tend to be a little more broad. So the way that I would do it is I would pick one really narrowly focused thing and just dominate that one little sector and make it so difficult for a large website to beat me. Because the thing with the large website, they're large and they have a lot of resources that are being spread across that site, right? So if they have you know the thousands and thousands of pages, those thousands and thousands of pages need to be serviced all the time. And so that makes it difficult for them to go very, very deep, right? They got to go a little bit wider. So to beat them is I go, I go super deep, like super, super deep. So that's just kind of a side note on the national level. That's the way that I, I attack that part of it. But as I mentioned, the biggest part is the links, the, the link building side, because unfortunately that's still one of the biggest variables in Google is just the quality and quantity of links that are hitting the site. It's just a fact. Now on the local side, there's competition. Yeah. It depends on what industry you're going in. So like, I'll tell you the most competitive ones, personal injuries, probably top of the list. And it is very competitive. Just to put in perspective, I know some personal injury lawyers that spend $80,000 a month on SEO. Okay. So that's a lot of investment in SEO. And so if you're spending a thousand bucks and they're spending $80,000, it's going to be hard to beat them. Even if they're doing a terrible job, like even if they're not doing good SEO and they're just buying a ton of links and creating a ton of content, like that velocity is so hard to beat. So personal injury is very high. Anything in the medical space, dentists, healthcare, that stuff's all very competitive. And then as you go down the list, it starts to get pretty competitive with roofers and HVAC, any home services are pretty competitive. After that though, it gets pretty easy for the most part, as long as you have a good strategy in place, as long as the business can actually generate reviews and they're a good business, then it's a pretty easy job. It, it gets challenging. It's the local, the local game isn't so much about the strategy. It's more about the business that you're working with. And if the business that you're working with isn't a good business and they don't treat their clients well and they can't generate reviews, ranking in the local pack is very difficult if you can't generate reviews. It is not to get too deep into like local pack ranking variables. Let's do it. Local pack variables. Break it down for me. Yeah. So like in the local pack, there, there are basically three things that really matter. Number one, above all else, it's like by a long shot is your location. I know it seems really like ridiculous, but you wouldn't believe how many people like I'll just give you in the case of St. Louis, all right? Let's say you're a St. Louis personal injury lawyer. You want to rank for St. Louis personal injury in injury lawyer in the local pack, but you have an address in Baldwin. You are not going to rank there. It is just not going to happen. So back in the day, this is probably like five-ish years ago, Google wasn't as good at this. So you could, you could capture a lot of different cities. So you could capture the main city, you capture some surrounding cities, and you could keep going out pretty far. If you have enough authority, you could do it. It's gotten so granular now though, that if you don't have a specific address in the city you're going after, it's hard to rank there. Even if it's a small city, like if I wanted to rank for Baldwin personal injury alert, it's a tiny little city, I would need to have an address in Baldwin to really dominate there. So that's the first thing. Second thing is in the local pack, like unfortunately manipulate manipulative strategies still work really well. And one of them is just having a keyword rich business name. It's stupid how well it works. I mean, it's like, I actually, I tested this funny thing is uh, this is actually for my client that's um, in the fire protection space. And I just wanted to like prove how ridiculous this is. So I created a domain that's an exact match of his keyword. So you know, fire protection services, his city.com. Okay. And I actually went and registered a business in his city as a fire protection business 
I put in my local, you know, my local uh, Google business listing and I was ranking in two weeks, like number two, zero reviews, no reviews, not even a real business. And I was there just because of the, on the local level, relevance is just so critical. It's so, so critical. The location relevance, the domain level relevance is big, but then outside of that, let's say domain relevance isn't a factor, even though it is the next most important thing are reviews coming back to what we were talking about. Reviews are critical. So, so critical. So when you're working with a business that A, doesn't have reviews and B, struggles to generate them, you're gonna it's going to be hard, right? It's just going to be difficult. So those things, that's where I focus on the local pack. Then the, I would say third or fourth most important is just the, the traditional SEO signals, like what you would do on the national level. Those are important as well. But in the local pack, those, those first two are really king. Uh, when it comes to it. I'm learning a lot on this episode. I uh, I mean it when I say I've spent like almost no time in the local SEO space. And so this has been super interesting for me. So I appreciate you breaking that down for us. And you mentioned backlinks for on the local side in particular, I would think it would be very hard to build a large number of backlinks for like a personal injury lawyer in Charleston. First question is you've said backlinks are pretty important still in 2023, or maybe even more important. How do you like as a local SEO build backlinks is is it just buying links? Is that like the only way to do it? I'm happy you asked. This is one of my favorite questions. I get this question probably more than any other question <laughs> in my training uh, is because a lot of people who work in local, it's a serious problem, right? How do you get a solo plumber to generate links, right? In a, in a natural way, in a, in a legitimate way, not just, you know, you go and you buy them. So most people just go and buy them. I'll be honest, that that is the strategy for most people. They just go and buy them, but that's a real problem, okay? And it's not the it's not the buying of the links that's the problem. It's the strategy that is neglected behind buying the links. And so what people will do is they will build out the site, they'll build out their service pages. We'll, we'll continue with the personal injury example. Uh, St. Louis personal injury lawyer, uh, and that's their dedicated landing page, okay, for that. And then they slam that page with links, okay? Well, the the problem with that, and this is applicable not just at local, but also national, which we can talk about. You play a dangerous game when you link to pages that don't deserve links. It's a very, very dangerous game to play. Not saying it doesn't work. It certainly does work, but you're just elevating your risk substantially. So in the case of local, when you drive links to a lead generation page that does not have any linkable qualities, you're kind of raising your hand and saying, we are building links artificially. It's it's basically the ultimate signal. Hey, Google, here we, here we go. This is what we're doing. And so on the national level, like with an e-commerce website, the example there is driving links to your category page, just slamming a category page with links. Because why is a category page getting links? Like who would link to a category page? Like no one really does that. Like in, in a real world, naturally that no one does that. So that's another example. The beauty of, and, if we, and SaaS would be the other example here that we were talking about. The beauty of SaaS, which is one thing I really love when I work on SaaS projects is like, SaaS companies are inherently linkable, right? So you look at like SEMrush, you look at Ahrefs, they just get links so easily because people just love linking to tools and things like that. So the reason I'm saying that is because what I think about on the local level is I start to think about what are some assets that we can create that are linkable for a local business, right? And that's not, it's not an easy task, but believe it or not, when you really, like if you sit down for a second, you start to think about what would be something that someone would want to link to, it actually gets pretty easy in a lot of scenarios. So like in the case of personal injury, let's say it's my St. Louis personal injury lawyer. I can start thinking about, okay, what are some statistics in St. Louis that are specific to his industry? Okay. So how many car accidents are there in downtown St. Louis every March? I start to think about that. Okay. And I can start to think about what are these different ideas that 
They're not necessarily going to push my ideal client deeper into the funnel. They're not going to be generating leads, but I'm building them because A, they build the proper topic authority on the local level and B, they can be used as the catalyst to drive links to those pages. And then when Google sees links are going to those pages, even if you buy them or you do outreach, it doesn't make a difference because what's happening is you're driving links to pages that actually deserve links, right? And so I've tested this so thoroughly, it's not even funny that you don't even need to hit your service pages to rank service pages. All you need to do is hit the, hit the linkable assets to raise site authority. And when you raise site authority, and you obviously have the proper internal linking, those service pages will raise. They will, they will rise. And so, you know, the the famous quote, a rising tide will lift all ships. That's the way I view it. Right. And I've done, I've I've tested so many times on a national level too. Like I funny thing is my wife has a blog and I, I let her do her own thing. And she's like, you know what, I need some help. So I'll I'll help you out. Okay. So she had all this blog content about fall outfits. And there were little thin posts, you know, it was like, okay, here's my, here's one fall outfit. Here's, you know, the one outfit. And then she would create another blog post. It was about another fall outfit. I was like, okay, too thin. We got to get, we got to build like a monstrosity kind of asset that specifically goes after fall outfits. So I took all of her fall outfits posts and I put them basically into one monstrosity. That would be an ultimate fall out. Like here's, I don't know how many it was, 40 fall outfits, basically. Um, and I created this super long guide. And then what I did is once that guide was created, I had created something that was very linkable. So then I started just driving links, just hitting that page with links. And what happened, which I expected to happen, was all of the other pages that we had built, even though they didn't have links, rankings started to climb. Rankings started to climb across all those other pages, even though I wasn't even building links to those pages. I was just building links to that one page. That was like 95% of our link building efforts to that one page. And so people really over, like they underestimate how much you can do just with two, three linkable assets. You don't even need a ton. You just need a couple that are really good that really you can just, you can ride that asset for a long time. Yeah, I agree with you. Internal linking is so important when it comes to like shifting that page authority or even just showing Google which pages you care about on your site. I've seen some like crazy internal tools over my career built by like some of like the large travel brands that will essentially like predict and highlight like how page authority is shifting through your site with your internal link strategies. And then we'll give you like predicted changes in terms of how adding an internal link from one page to the next will actually change the rankings for that page. So I've seen like companies go incredibly deep on like shifting page authority. I think it's it's so important to do in my opinion. And it sounds like you agree. But this has been such an awesome episode. If it's okay with you, I've got like five or six like rapid fire questions I want to hit you with before we wrap it up. Keep it going. All right. So my first question is on SGE. I get asked about it all the time. I'm sure you do too. Like, what do you think? I'm in the camp of like, I I take SEO one day at a time. That's it. I don't get in the weeds of, oh, what's going to happen? Or I start freaking out about algorithm updates. And I just don't play that game anymore. I just, I just continue to execute. I see what's working in the field and I make adjustments. That's it. Like I have no interest in what John Mueller said or what Google said or trying to theorize about various things. I just execute. I see what happens and I make adjustments. So for me, I'm not afraid of it personally. 
because I've already been like you've Nate, you've already been through cycles, right? You've been through so many cycles already. You know what to expect. So Google has already been stealing clicks for a long time. <laughs> this is this is no new uh, new phenomenon that's going on. I mean, when featured snippets came into play, they stole a massive amount of traffic from people. That really wrecked a lot of people. And there's also instant answers. Instant answers have been here for a long time. I mean, you search what time is it in St. Louis? Like, there's no clicking going on there. Like nothing is happening. So this is nothing new. And so for me, it's just adapt and try to modify my strategy based on whatever's happening. So if, if that's the case and Google's going to use AI to deliver answers, my solution is I'll avoid keywords where it's easy for AI to dominate them. So I'm not going to go after keywords where AI is just going to easily be able to answer a question, right? So it's just a waste of time. The, the point of doing SEO is to get clicks to your website. That's it. That's all we're trying to do. So if if you're going to go after a keyword, what time is it in St. Louis? You're wasting your time. Like, it's just like, why even do it? Like, even if you could rank, what would be the reason? But at the same time, I think it's hilarious when I see S, like some, I've seen some SEO guys, they're like, oh, this is how you rank in SG. And I'm like, you think you know how to rank in SG and Google doesn't even know how the AI works to select those results. So you think you know, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, I actually saw like an MVP of a product to help you rank in SGE. It was actually an internal tool that like this portfolio of websites is built. And uh, I thought it was interesting, but it's way too early to know if that's going to work or not. Yes, to say the least. So on this podcast, we don't actually recommend buying backlinks, but I know a lot of people do. And so what does a backlink cost? Like how much should I be spending on a backlink? Oh man. So that really does depend if you're doing it internally or you're buying them from a vendor. I'll tell you, I'll start with the low end of this, okay, which is doing it internally. So we have people in the, we actually just had this conversation in my academy, uh, one of the members, he is getting links for about $67. And so, but he's built his own internal systems. He's got his own outreach systems. He He's a little diabolical because one thing that he does is he goes and goes to the vendors and gets links from them. And then he sees their opportunities and then he just reaches out to them directly. <laughs> so, um, so, I mean, you know, it's that, that's business, right? So the thing is with the, with the vendors, like uh, I, I won't name any vendors here, but you're looking at like 300 bucks per link for a, a good, good link. Okay. From vendor. The reason you pay a premium on that is because you're paying for their systems. You're paying for the relationships. You're paying for the work that they already did. So the way that I like to think about it is like when you buy a franchise, you're paying an upfront investment. You're you're paying because they've already built the systems for you and you don't have to build those systems for you. That's with the link vendors as well. You're paying for the systems and their connections. One more on buying backlinks. And again, to our listeners, we don't recommend buying them, but a lot of people do. Would you want to buy like permanent backlinks or like a rented backlink? Always permanent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the only time you'd want to do rented is if you're doing some more gray hat or black hat stuff. But yeah, if you're going for a more white hat, white hat process, then definitely permanent. Most vendors are going to be permanent. I mean, even natural links drop, right? So, you know, paid links will drop from time to time. But yeah, definitely, definitely permanent for sure. 
So I have two final questions. We'll make them really quick because a lot of our listeners are thinking about hiring an SEO agency at some point in their life cycle, even if they've got an in-house team. What's like the number one question to ask an SEO agency before you hire them? Number one question, I guess, would be to talk about what their process looks like. I think it's it's the process that matters the most. I think one of the worst questions, one of the worst qualifiers that I see companies try to disqualify an agency for is like, how big are you? That's the dumbest, it's just the dumbest question because there's a lot of SEO guys. One very good SEO guy is the equivalent of one big dumb agency because with a lot of, I'm not calling out any agencies, but- You can call them out, go for it. Yeah, I'll I'll just explain. I'll just explain kind of what their process looks like. Okay, I'm talking the the some of the big boys. They sign it. They sign on a client, and when they're when they're closing that deal, you're talking to the the big dog. You're talking to the main SEO guy. You're talking to the guy who knows his stuff. As soon as they become a client, though, what happens is you get you get assigned to a uh, entry level person who is getting paid forty thousand dollars a year. And it's their first year, maybe first month ever doing SEO. That's how most agencies work. Not saying all of them, just some that do it that way. I think that's not the best. I would rather hire someone who's exceptionally gifted at their skill instead of just hiring a big agency because you feel like that's going to be better. It's not. like SEO is not based on how much work you're doing. It's about being effective. It's about doing the right work. It's about doing the things that actually produce outcomes. I know so many SEO consultants, individuals that would crush a team of 30 by themselves easily. Like it's not even close. So for me, as far as a qualifier, that's one I think is irrelevant. I think you need to look at, you need to ask some questions about their process. What does their process look like from end to end, right? And if they're like sketchy about their strategies, if they say, oh, well, it's proprietary and I, yeah, we only should, nonsense. Nothing's proprietary. Everyone knows what how to do. Like anyone who does SEO is not afraid to share what their process looks. Everyone has a kind of unique way of doing things. Like I have my proprietary way of doing certain things that no one else does it the way that I do it. But like at a broad level, it's all the same stuff. So for me, I'd be looking more at the process uh, more than anything. And then some other kind of qualifying questions is on the link side, because that's where the biggest dangers lie uh, is on the link building side. So as far as risk, links are the biggest risk variable within an SEO campaign, right? Because if you do it wrong, you can get wrecked. Speaking from personal experience, by the way. For all our listeners, if you buy links or Google Deems, you have like an unnatural link pattern or you've built links in ways, even if you're not buying them, which appear to be unnatural, you can run into issues where your site will get penalized and lose visibility as a result. Last question I have, because I've loved doing this episode. You've been a fantastic guest. I want to know, like, how can we learn more about the Academy and the book? Like, how can people find you? Yeah, obviously the SEOentrepreneur.com is the best place to get the book because I'm actually going to have a really good offer there. So you you will be able to, it will be available on Amazon, but through the website, there's actually going to be the book plus five bonuses as well. So a couple of cool things, like one of the bonuses is I basically have a whole database of every niche that you could enter as an agency. So I took, this is pretty insane. I got every single category within the local business profiles and put them into the database. And then we also uh, graded them based on competition level. So like personal injuries, like avoid, but maybe a barber is one you could explore, right? <laughs> like you could become the SEO expert for barbers. 
not saying that's a good idea, but there's, they're all there, right? So that's just like one free bonus that I've given. There's four other ones that are really, really valuable for someone starting an SEO business. Once again, they're free. And then Gotcha SEO Academy, you can just go to gotchaseo.com. You can easily find it there. And I have a YouTube channel too. I think I'm getting close to like 75,000 subs. So I publish videos there usually every week. Well, we will make sure to link to all of those different websites in the show notes. So you will get a few different backlinks from us for free because you've been so gracious with your time here today. And then we'll also link to your YouTube channel as well. But Nathan, thank you so much for coming on the Optimize podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's a lot of fun. This episode of the Optimize podcast is brought to you by a special sponsor. If you're anything like me, you've probably got a lot of content that's not very well optimized and it can be a total pain in your butt to optimize it and ultimately get it to rank better in search. And that's what Positional does. Positional has an incredible tool set for everything from content optimization to technical SEO and planning your editorial calendar. And if you don't know by now, I'm one of the co-founders of Positional and I'd love for you to check it out. (music) 